Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Brought to the Table, a podcast where we have a guest come onto the show and bring their unique ideas and perspectives to the table. I am your host, Luke Jones, and today I have a very special guest, which is essentially all the guests that come on my show, um, Miranda Schuler. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> so happy I'm to be here. Oh, I'm glad you're happy to be here. Are you excited <laughs> to be on the show today? Absolutely. I'm so excited to bring my ideas to the table. Exactly. So um, <laughs> for those of you who do not know, I want to give Miranda a huge shout out because she did actually have a big part of like kind of rebooting everything I'm doing with the YouTube channel as well as this podcasting stuff. Uh, the very logo that you see on the podcast slash YouTube channel was actually designed by Miranda. So you can thank Miranda for that cool new logo that exists on all of my content per se so i want to give miranda a huge shout out uh she's super awesome what she does thank you so much it's like it's been one of my favorite projects i've ever done actually i love i just love the whole idea behind it and i love i love how it turned out for you no it, i i was really it was really awesome i always i was telling a few folks that you know back in my days of doing contract work this is probably like the easiest like contract thing i've ever worked with as like the client <laughs> side because i know from like doing the actual work um, it's just like whenever you work with a contractor, it is just such a huge pain. Um, Usually, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, so, and you were one of the easiest clients I've ever had, of course. So that made it really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, you did a fantastic job. And I know to say there wasn't that many revisions. Um, no, there really wasn't, which was kind of shocking. <laughs> no, I mean, Miranda, Miranda figured out my vision pretty quickly. So I, she basically went into my brain and it sucked out all the ideas that I had. And, now we have this wonderful logo for brought to the table. So, and that is that is what I was trained on is how to suck brains. That was actually uh, that was oh, actually my degree. Yes. Today is how to suck the thoughts and ideas out of someone's brain cells today. I mean, kind of. That is psychology. <laughs> yeah, um, so actually, the reason why I wanted to bring Miranda on today is obviously number one, she had a huge part in actually kind of rebooting this podcast and YouTube shenanigans with uh, this awesome logo that she put together. Um, but we are going to actually take another journey into the world of psychology because uh, Miranda actually has some really cool ideas and stuff about this. So I'm going to let Miranda kind of just start chatting about who she is and kind of what got her into this whole psychology shenanigans. And we'll kind of go from there. So, Miranda, tell us about yourself. Wow. And this is my favorite part. I love to discuss <laughs> this. <laughs> okay. So I began in uh, computer graphics technology when I was in high school. I've always had a love for video games, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, and I've also always had a passion for helping people. My parents told me when I was probably 13, 12 or 13, I should be in psychology because I just love to, I always, they told me I always found the bleeding hearts and I always wanted to help those people. And I just very recently discovered that those two things can be very much combined and that there's a very large amount of stigma against video games and VR technology when actually it could do a bunch of help for people. So there are studies out there that show how virtual reality can help people in the psychology field, especially when understanding mental disorders, but also people with mental disorders using different types of therapy with virtual reality and augmented reality. And that just kickstarted me being really interested in how could I be a part of that field. So after finishing my bachelor's at um, IUPUI, 
where Luke works. Hi. I, <laughs> after finished my bachelor's there in computer graphics technology, I I had done a brief year of research in computer engineering where I studied. Uh, actually, created a cryptocurrency that would be used for space travel, which is like super complex but super cool. And we, with that, we studied like um, artificial intelligence. So that all kind of led into me getting my bachelor's in computer graphics technology and me deciding that I should go on for my master's in psychology. And usually when people hear that combination, they're like, what the hell are you thinking combining those two things? That doesn't make any sense. But it actually does. There is a place for both. And there are there are computer engineers that are now a part of the psychology discussion, which is super, super cool. So my idea is to go on for my PhD and become a researcher that uses video game technology in general to help people with mental disorders. That is, I remember, so I actually got to hear a little bit about this because Miranda was recently interviewed for a part of a spirit week thing that uh, I put together for my department. And I got to hear a little bit of Miranda's thoughts and ideas. And I actually thought this was a really good kind of topic that we can kind of discuss because, you know, I love video games probably as much as the next person this year. I've probably gotten back into video games more than I ever have in the past late two years. And yeah. let me tell you, video games are, you know, I think one of the bad notions that video games get is the fact that like they are a time sucker. They're more of a distraction. That's usually how people describe them. But in reality, the way that video games have come about over the past few years, they've really had this psychological meaning to people. You know, I, I talk about, you know, when people ask me what my favorite video games of all time are, the, you know, I always tell them, like, the game, the reason why these games mean so much to me is because they've had such an emotional impact and, have, like, changed my life or the way that I've, you know, thought about stuff or the way I want to learn about more things. And, like, one of my examples, like, this year was uh, Ghost of Tsushima, which, you know, takes place in, you know, Japan on the island of Tsushima, and it's about when the Mongols invaded and like it's a huge giant lesson of like Japanese culture during that time period. And it was like one of the first big Japanese things I really wanted to get into and like learn more about that. And then it also made me realize too, like the first time in my life where like most of the characters I looked up to are mainly white males. And Jin Sakai, <laughs> the main character of that game, is you know of Japanese descent. And I, that was the first time that really hit me where like, wow, I, I want to be this person and stuff like that. And I want to learn more about Japanese culture outside of just watching Dragon Ball Z and, you know, stuff like that. So like all these games just have such a giant influence on the way that we think and the way that we grow and actually like who we are as people. And I think what you talked about with like virtual reality and psychology with games, I think is like super big. Um, what do you think really, you know, do you think we're in an upturn towards people actually viewing like video games in this like, like positive psycho uh, psychology level? Well, I think it'll take more work in the industry uh, because just as you said, there's a stigma of, of wasting time through video games as them being like time suckers. There's also a stigma of games promoting, um, violent tendencies which has never proven to be true in any case there's tons of statistics that prove against it in fact but it is still a huge conversation even in like a political sense that the video games cause violent violent tendencies inside of young adults and it's just not the case and it's sad that that has to be the kind of thing that we have to fight because 
as you've said, video games impact people and teach people things that they may not experience in their world that they live in currently. So if, you know, like I've, I said during the spirit week, I lived in a rural area and not many, not much diversity in my area. And video games showed me diversity. Video games showed me different opinions and showed me different sitting inside of different people's shoes. And that's really important in both societal and like a psychological evaluation of people. It's really important to teach people those things. And it's important for us to have the empathy that video games can teach us. So I still, I still think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the industry to prove that this is something that can be beneficial. And just as anything that is technological and technology advancing and progressive in technology, there's always going to be ups and downs and there's always going to be good and bad. And I think it's important that we put technology in the right hands so that technology can be used for the good. So if we have the right people studying how this technology can help people and benefit people, hopefully we can go onto a much better path than what people see it turning into. I I really like that. I, um, you know, I do, you know, especially in the probably since this current generation of consoles, so like launch a PlayStation 4, Xbox Mm -hmm. One, that type of ordeal. I do think the video video games have definitely have tried to take a different approach in terms of, you know, how they actually affect people. Because, you know, the biggest reason why it took so long is because video games are technological art pieces. You know, they require programming. Yeah. And like architecture of the system that you're running it on. And sometimes like, you know, we talked a little bit about this in our very first uh, or the second episode when we talked about tutorials in games. And the half the reason why instruction manuals were so big, you know, back in the day is just the fact that games just didn't have the space to write tutorials into the game. And now <laughs> yep. we have the ability to render out these full length cutscenes that, you know, actually have, you know, they're acted out in person to show this off. And I think that's what the next, you know, what we need to start getting this going. And I don't know, and lots of games, you know, I've talked about these different, I would say like more social issues. I wouldn't say necessarily psychological issues. There are a few that I know have, but like games that come to mind to me that I've kind of talked about like the social issue stuff a little bit is like Last of Us has been a huge one. Um, I think that's a great job of that. Absolutely. Uh, Persona 5 definitely has also talked about this. One of my absolute games. Mine too. Uh, yeah, no, that that one, especially for a younger generation of you know children growing up, like that one definitely hits hard. But mm-hmm. I don't really think any games really kind of because I know you talked about people with different um mental disorders. I don't really think there's any games that talk about that. I think well, there's there, one. I forget the name of it. But there is one. I'm sorry to interrupt. Sorry to no, you're jump, good. No, there. It makes me really excited because there is one that's out there on the market and it's uh, it's a version of Hellblade and it's Sonya's Journey. That's and it, what I was thinking of. The yeah. entirety, yeah, the entirety of the game is set inside her schizophrenic mindset and they actually had people with diagnosed schizophrenia helping the writers write that game. So when you're sitting inside the game, and I'm sure if you've played it, you've, you've heard it, if you play it with headphones, you actually hear voices around her and you get to actually experience what it feels like to be someone with schizophrenia and that's something that is so important because then it helps you understand i mean it just gives you that empathy to understand someone that may think differently than you 
And that's such a big stigma in the world of mental disorders is we see people with a mental disorder and we imagine they are evil when in fact they just think differently and it's kind of a superpower and that's kind of how Hellblade portrays it. And that's, I don't know, that's, that was the first one that came to my mind was Hellblade. <laughs> yeah, Hellblade was the one I was thinking of. I, Absolutely. I, I kept forgetting it because I know it was the studio that... <laughs> can't believe it that would made the dmc <laughs> game so that devil may cry yeah. game where it was e yep. dante yes studio uh, <laughs> but, uh, no yeah i i have not played hellblade but i have seen playthroughs of hellblade and i have to give them huge kudos to that because you know a lot of what you know there's has been this huge thing in games nowadays with accessibility and how they actually have folks with the different you know accessibility you know right. things that they have to tackle you know whether it's someone who is deaf whether it's blind and how they actually are bringing those folks in to see how they can tackle these problems exactly in, you know in video games and i know like what you said about the schizophrenia with hellblade you know they actually had to bring folks in to help kind of really script that game out what what do you think is really holding folks back from doing more of that though because i feel like especially nowadays when now granted we are in 2020 and 2020 is 2020 um having you know obviously you got to have people come in talk about this stuff but like what do you think is holding people back from having more of these types of concepts talked about in video games fear it's always fear um really? is that all it boils down to I, I, that's honestly in my heart that's what I feel so and I just that's from like personal experience so just like transparency I was diagnosed when I was 17 with borderline personality disorder and when I told my family that they looked at me and they said I could never imagine you've been diagnosed with a mental disorder you're so nice and I'm just like okay people with mental disorders aren't mean we're not evil people we just think differently and I mean, it just boils down to like, we have such a fear in our society of accepting that people may think differently. We have a fear of under not understanding how people think. And we have a fear of not understanding. You can see that in racism. You can see that in sexism. We just have a fear of things that we cannot understand. And with that fear comes a lack of conversation and which just builds more fear and misunderstanding. And it's just an endless cycle that it is pointless and doesn't doesn't need to be that way at all. No, I I you know I I hundred percent agree with you. I and the thing <laughs> is, like you know, we talk about fear, and you know, obviously we're talking about fear and kind of in a negative reinforcement way, where essentially people are like, "Well, I'm scared, so I'm not going to do it." Um, but it's also the fact of like you know, I think with me personally, you know, I've. I remember back when I was in undergrad, I did a study about how to take the whole concept of Skylanders and help it with people who had anxiety and depression. Oh, that's and so fun. Was, yeah. And it was a really cool project to really work on because there was a lot of different things that you had to think about with that and how to approach that. But really what it came down to is, you know, I, I, I think people are just scared because they just don't know how to go about it. I, it's like they, it's like you don't want it's hard. I'm trying to figure out how to say this appropriate. So I apologize for those of you listening as well as you, Miranda. Um, <laughs> it's it's because I want to make sure I say this correctly because I don't want to offend anybody. Of uh, course, more, of course. Yeah, it's like, you know, you obviously have to talk to the people who suffer from these different conditions. And, Absolutely. you know, sometimes depending on the condition, you know, that can be a scary thing to do. Um, you know, it and because everyone has different levels of different of these different mental disorders. 
And right. sometimes it's severe. Sometimes it's not so severe. And usually, especially in video games, you want to try to talk about it in a most severe way possible. That's not shoving it down your throat. Um, Cause I think that's also kind of what a lot of games run into is that, and people say this is that, you know, like when a game is trying to bring out like a message and they're trying to tell the story and trying to tell you this moral message, rather than trying to tell it to you in this nice methodical way, it's more like, all right, we're taking this idea and we're punching you in the face with it constantly throughout the entirety of the story, you know? And that's not necessarily the right way to do it. I mean, granted, sometimes it's still good to hear that message, but you know, um, you want to make it sure that it's impactful and meaningful to a large audience. And that's something I can just see how hard that can be. That it's just, it's Play. incredibly difficult. And I don't think it's necessarily just even from a fear perspective. I think it's just actually trying to really nail that. And obviously Hellblade did a fantastic job, but I can only, you know, many games have tackled, you know, anxiety and depression, hmm. but I don't think a game is really made you really feel like what it feels like to have those, if I'm not mistaken. To correct me. I would have to agree with that. Actually. I was, I was thinking of, um, Oh my gosh. Life is strange. That series. Oh yes. I that series. That. Yeah. That series. Both of those games have really affected me pretty hardcore, but I still don't feel like you can, you can cross that bridge of like, even though I've played the second life is strange. I can't ever say that I understand what it feels like to be in a Hispanic shoes living in America right now. I can never, I can never say that. I, especially coming from like a privileged white percentage. I cannot say that with any kind of clarity. But I can say that that game brought light to the knowledge that I was never given. And I think that that, again, is just the the key that we're looking for inside the lock, is giving the people knowledge that they may have not received before. And I think that goes even beyond video game technology. I think that goes into like our schools. Like Just even recently, we've been taught in our schools how to handle someone who is suicidal and how to see signs of it or someone who is depressed or someone who is, you know, being abused at home. And that's something that like my parents were never taught in school. So when they had to deal with me going to therapy, they were like, you know, what the hell is wrong with you? You have nothing to be worried or stressed about. When in reality, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> so yeah. it comes down to like, just education. And I think as much as video games can do in part of that, that's, that's still an important step, even, you know, if you're not crossing the boundary of shoving it down someone's throat, but you're still telling a story that is valid and should be learned, I suppose. No, yeah, I yeah, it's such a difficult balance because it's just like, you know, you want to talk about these messages and have these characters with these different, you know, backgrounds of who they are, whether they're part of, you know, you know, different different race backgrounds, different sexuality right. backgrounds. And it's like you know, I think one of the biggest things I kind of struggled to understand the past few years, but I finally kind of got it a few years ago, was, you know, when Marvel was really trying to push this giant diverse roster of characters, because I grew up as a Marvel kid, liking all these different Marvel characters. And the thing is, I never really got it because I was more viewing it from the perspective of, oh, they're they're no longer focusing on the characters I really enjoyed growing up with. But in reality, what it was, it's the fact that, you know, we need characters of representation of different backgrounds of different sexualities and what have you. I mean, that's why Miles Morales is such an important character in Marvel right now, because he represents really? such a huge population of folks. And don't get me wrong. Peter Parker, Spider-Man is always going to be my favorite Spider-Man. Um, but that's because I, as a white privileged male, look up to someone who looks like me. 
you know, right. the, the those folks, you know, of Hispanic and black heritage, they need their Spider-Man to look up to. And that is Miles. And Miles is also just as fantastic of a character. And that's why he exists. You know, like he is. And it's not just like, oh, I am this lack of better word token character. Like he has, it's not just he's those things. He has like a family that revolves around that cultural background. I was looking at the Marvel uh, Miles Morales game that's coming out for PlayStation 5 and how they rebuilt Harlem and New York City and how that's like a representative culture thing. And like people were looking at it and like tearing up in the trailers. And like I didn't grow up in that portion of New York City, but like right. that is important to people and like that <laughs> understanding and that psychology of what that means. And like, it goes back to what you talked about of, you know, we didn't grow up seeing that stuff or we don't understand what that's like. You know, we both come from relatively rural areas, so we don't have that perspective, but when you get to see that, you know, it's kind of why I really like what I'm doing with this podcast is really, it's about bringing new perspectives on for us to learn something new. Um, Absolutely. I wish there was more ways that games could do that. Cause I think the problem is, is that some folks look at that and feel like it goes back to the shoving down the throat thing, but I don't think these games are doing it. I'm just trying to figure out how, you know, you can even change the mindset of someone who's going to think like that, you know, cause that's what the games should do. And that's what I really think what Hellblade did really well was like, we're not trying to put this message in front of you, the, the entirety of it. We're trying to make you experience it, you know, like. a lot different than most games do. And I, I think the really important factor in what goes into those games, into the like, you know, miles and what goes into those stories, the fact that they don't they don't just um, there's a lot of problems in like psychology in the industry right now, because there's a lot of people that are of white heritage that try to speak for those that are of other heritage or people that are, you know, neurotypical that try to speak for people that are neurodivergent. When in reality, like things like Hellblade and like the new Spider-Man they had real people that had lived those lives help to create those those films and those pieces. And those are the voices that should be projected right now. It should be the people that haven't experienced that or haven't sat in those shoes. It should be the people that have experienced that that are the ones that are projected into the stories. And that's what makes an incredible story. And I think I really like that you admit that you had to like have a learning curve with that. I really appreciate that because I think it's important for us to all admit that we had learning curves because again, like me growing up in a rural town, I didn't have the experience that I have now, just like coming from Indianapolis that taught me a lot. Like that was a culture yeah. shock. And I think what really kicked it in for me was when I was working at my old high school as an IT assistant I had one of our coworkers who was Hispanic and she looked at me and said, I had drawn a Hispanic woman in one of my paintings. And she looked at me and said, it's so nice. I've never felt represented before. And that wow. just like kicked me in the face because I just realized like, I can't imagine watching TV every day or playing video games and not ever seeing myself. Can't imagine living that life. And that's so incredible that there are people that don't have that here. And I think it's so important to rise those voices up. And I think that's what those pieces do that you're discussing. And I think that's what makes an incredible piece. Yeah, I, I think you, you bring up a great point because, you know, with, you know, in 2020 talking about like Black Lives Matter and having more racial understanding, I think, you know, I, you know, part of that is admitting when you don't know enough. Right. And 
that's like what I learned with the Marvel thing was because I really admit I wasn't a huge fan of Marvel for a while because of the the stories that they were telling. But when I actually took a time the time to actually understand these characters that they were trying to tell the stories of, um, it made me realize more and more like why this was important. I think another, you know, I talked about Miles, but another great Marvel character uh, recently, I think that's they've done a fantastic job with is uh, Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Um, he, he is absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Um, and, you know, they it's just like you you don't like those those superheroes that like they represent a whole different audience of folks. And it just requires you to be like, all right, I don't know enough about this. You know, it's and it, it wasn't that I wasn't interested. I just never took the time to go research it. And now it's like now I'm getting on uh, getting a better understanding of the culture that these folks come from. And like what they do and why some of this stuff is like meaningful or why this is scary. You know, I, it just, it does, it really kind of puts it in perspective. And part of it is a meeting when you don't know enough or you're just de deciding not to go forward. And once you have those moments where like, I need to better understand this, like you want to go out and seek it. And I know that's what the last of us did when they were doing a lot of the story writing for uh last of us Two. Um, cause obviously there is a very diverse group of characters in that game that represent a lot of different backgrounds from race to sexuality to the way they identify. And they, I remember Neil Druckmann had talked about in interviews of how they actually interviewed folks in the studio that identified in all those different places to make sure that they represented how those characters should feel. And Play. the thing is, it's part of saying, I don't know enough. And I want to find a way to represent this in the best way possible. So it's asking questions. It's it's the funny joke I tell my students all the time where it's just like, and when they're like, I don't know something. And I, I'm, I'm like, why aren't you asking questions? And this is like the part where we have to become students, not just in the classroom, but like actually in the world socially to ask those questions to figure out more knowledge. Yeah, actually, that was I so one of my first classes in my master's class so far has been called uh, Foundations of Psychology. And the first paper we had to read was entirely written about the deconstruction of your self-identity and how as a psychologist and just I believe as a human on the earth, you are constantly deconstructing and rebuilding your self-identity. And if you're not, you're in a standstill because it's very important to understand you don't know everything. And it's very important to understand you should be asking questions. Don't ever feel wrong for questioning. Don't ever feel wrong for changing your mind because it's it's continuous to deconstruct who you are and continue to rebuild. And if you don't do that, then you'll be at a standstill and, and society would never move forward. It's so important to continue to have like empathy and understanding towards maybe I'm not as smart or as knowledgeable on a subject as I thought I was. Let me try and get better. <laughs> No, I, I mean, like you even talk about that, you know, the I guess in a more lighthearted sense of it, it's kind of the way or the reason why, like when you're growing up as a kid, like you like certain things as a kid. But as you get older, you're like deconstructing yourself to like you're liking new things, you're meeting new people, you're making new friends and stuff like that. And part of that is that deconstruction of yourself that you have to take the time to do that because, you know, you're not going to be, you know, 45 years old and still like you know, playing with building blocks all day. I mean, yep. you'll probably find a different way to do it. Maybe you like architecture, so that's what you do. But I was about you know, to say, you still play with Legos on your screen. I was saying the factor. But I mean, even, then, <laughs> even in that extent, you know, that's just like, you just, I just watch, you know, I've seen so many 
like I remember like teaching at the middle school, high school level and like watching students kind of grow through those years as you would see them progress over time. And then eventually they would actually get to like freshman level college, which was insane to see that growth. But you just see them change and evolve as people, you know, like they wear different clothes. They hang out with new groups of people, you know, like that's part of that. It's I always talk about going on the journey, you know, and like yep. figuring out who you want to be. And like you're never really done going on the journey. No, like it's, you have to make sure that you're going on it, though. That's the big thing. Absolutely. You should never be stagnant and it should never be. I don't know. I'm that maybe just be like my perspective on life, though. I never want to be comfortable. I, I don't want to be comfortable. I don't want to be content. I'd much rather be uneasy and learning than just content with where I am, because I do want to be a part of like progressing society and helping people. And I feel like if I just stay content all my life and never change, how am I supposed to be a part of anything, I guess? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think that's actually a really good point you bring up because there's this level of, I mean, like you talk about fear and then we talk and you talk about content or we can even kind of phrase it into just being comfortable. And right. I think that's honestly why, you know, we get stuck in these grooves because things make us feel comfortable and we're not scared, but then it's like, you aren't learning anything new. Exactly. And that's like, exactly how do you, right. How do you balance that, I guess, because obviously, if you want to continue to learn and progress in your life, you need to be scared of things. But then at the same time, it's like, you know, you want to be comfortable, you want to know that ne next day you can wake up and, you know, you're, you can pay your rent, you have food to make sure you can eat, you're getting enough sleep, you know, you're gonna go to work, and you're not gonna get fired. Um, that type of, course. of thing. Of course, I think, and I think the balance in that could even stem from understanding that some people don't have that. I think I think that's at least my balance is for me to wake up and understand I am comfortable. I have a roof over my head. I lay in a bed every night. Some people don't have that. And I want right. to continue to work until I can help at least one person have that like I have that. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, that's what I mean, that's what I I feel like it's what we all try to I mean, a lot of the folks I've had on the show, I think we all kind of think the same way. So Maybe at some point I got to have some crazy person on the show to talk elsewise. But I think we all are here because we want to help people in some shape or form, whether it's big or small. And we're all trying to better ourselves and find ways to do that. Um, Absolutely. Which I think is, I mean, it's still a difficult task. I mean, as a teacher, it's so, it's so difficult to help oh my people gosh. understand. Um, and that's a whole psychological battle I fight every day. Of um, course. Which I think it's so difficult. Yeah, of course. I'm actually, um, which I'm not a teacher, but I have a substitute's license and I just being a substitute is draining to me because it's just every day you see kids that you cannot help enough. And so I can't imagine being like a full-time professor or teacher that would just, I mean, how do you cope with that, Luke? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a um, <laughs> honestly, it's not for everybody. And I remember, so it was funny because, you know, for those of you who don't know, I'm a, real, a relatively young full-time lecturer at, on, on a, at a university, IFUY. And I got hired when I was 23, which is absurd and is never heard of usually in any university environment. <laughs> and a lot of the people that from my program that were, that were in undergrad want to go do a master's degree to go teach. And what a lot of them ended up realizing is they didn't like teaching. And I do think there has, there's some of that is the... You know, you get put in that situation, you get really scared. You know, you talked about the whole suicide, you know, like 
I remember first day, like one of the first things I had to do before I started teaching my first full like semester full time was I had to fill out that like suicide prevention thing of like what I'm supposed to do as the instructor when you get told that thing. And like, that's something I think about every single day, you know, and like I get messages from students about personal things all the time. Don't need to list any specific ones, but it, it's it is draining. It hurts sometimes, especially because you want to sit there and help those people like and but you just there's not enough you can do, you know, especially when it's something a little, you know, you know, it's out of out of your out of your reach. But kind of the best way you do, I, I figure about is like, just give them the best opportunities that they can, you know, and like, that's whether it's like, give them a better way to get more points on an assignment or be like, hey, extra credit, or hey, let me show you this really cool opportunity, to maybe get an internship or even sometimes just in the classroom, just like like I did this week, I just pulled out my guitar and I just started playing guitar because I was just like, why the heck not? Um, it's just providing some levity and also doing it in my own life, too, of making sure that I have time to process and like take care of myself, too, because I think, you know, 2020 has proven to a lot of us in all sorts of different ways. And I'm not trying to completely blame it on the number of the year, <laughs> but um, it definitely has made me have to force myself to reflect and process more. And I think that's part of why people are so feared to even talk about these different concepts with psychology um, and, and like with depression, anxiety and things that you're scared of is that you just don't want to think about it. You know, I, I had Zach Pinson's on the show recently, the um, to talk about psychology and kind of one of the things he talked about was like, these are just ideas that we implant in our heads to not think about stuff. It's like a comfort mechanism. And that was one thing I actually learned from that show that I've been kind of doing a lot recently is trying to make sure that I'm, and I've been doing this a lot this year, but really reflect on what's happened and process it. So that way you can kind of move forward um, with it because I, there has been so many weird freaking situations with her teaching and life and all that stuff, but really kind of how you get through it is just like reflect on it. Don't let it eat at you and try to move on. And it's really, it's different for different people on how you do it. You know, like I can't sit here and tell you, here, here's all right. You got to wake up and eat your alphabets, drink a glass <laughs> of milk, take a shower, use your Irish spring, brush your teeth. This that, is that's it. Not how that works. This is how you live. You have to follow these exact rules. <laughs> exactly. This is the exact. Uh, this is the exact rules that you have to follow to ensure that it will all work out. Um, no, please don't. Please don't. Also, shout outs to alphabets. Like, that's really <laughs> not get enough credit. Um, it's it's the better. Uh, oh god. Oh god. Anyway, it's a really good cereal. Go get it. But uh, there you go. Um, It'll see solve all your problems. Miranda. So when we start talking about <laughs> random stuff. I love it. I'm here for it 100%. But I uh, do, I absolutely agree with what you're saying, though. I think if 2020 has taught me anything, it's just, it's proven to me that it, how important it is to just be honest. And that's not even outwardly. That's just to yourself as well. To be honest right. when you need a break. To be honest when you're going through something. And I found that being honest with myself has made me more honest with people around me as well. Like even just telling people, hey, I can't handle it today or, hey, I need a break today. I mean, there's nothing better you could do for yourself is just to allow yourself to be a human. <laughs> and that's really hard sometimes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, it's just like you you want to, you know, I, I've people ask him mean, because obviously people know me from the Disney villainous community and people want, always want to like play games with me and stuff like that. And I love the fact that people want to go play games with me. But like, 
it's just I can't play games all the time. Like literally yeah. what I've actually been doing recently, I've been getting really back into music and like music has been helping me kind of reflect and relax a bit more than just playing games. So it's That's just like so wonderful. Yeah, I, I, it's it's been fantastic, let me tell you. I've actually been thinking about buying a bass guitar. Um oh, I hope you do. I hope you buy your bass I'm guitar. That's probably, wonderful. That's what I'm gonna probably do. Um <laughs> but uh it's it's definitely like helped me re like reflect, but it's like, it sucks to say no to someone. And I think that's also goes back to what you, we talk about with fear is like, you never want to let someone down. You're scared that as soon as yep. you tell someone no, or, Hey, I can't do something today. Like you, all of a sudden you just broke someone's heart. You broke, you ruined someone's day. Um, and some people don't have a problem saying no. And that's also great, but it's also like, yeah, sometimes you're saying no, because you're like, Hey, I really just need to not, do anything that requires talking to people i need to go drink some water and relax and binge a tv show and just chill and it's just okay Clay. to say that and i think like psa i feel like if you have someone in your life that can't handle you saying no and can't handle you needing to have time for yourself that's not a person that you need in your life like and it's so funny that we're having this podcast and discussing that because i just had like a falling out with a friend because she could not handle that from me and that's like not on me i i have to be allowed to be a human everyone has to have time and that's okay and you should you don't need validation for it validation is for parking like that book that i love uh, <laughs> says validation is for parking and um you don't you don't need that like you you if you need a break take a break and it's really hard for me too i completely agree it hurts me to disappoint people and it hurts me if i feel like i haven't been productive it really bothers me. I tell everyone else around me, like, it's okay for you not to be productive. It's okay for you to take a break. But I don't tell that to myself. And that's been a learning curve for me. <laughs> but it is okay. Oh, absolutely. You got, I've, I am definitely, we're probably, we probably kindred spirits in terms of our productivity. Yep. I am <laughs> like, the type of person that I always like to do things, but Sometimes like, you know, for me, like, I feel like I'm being productive when I'm doing stuff for work or doing schoolwork or designing a game or doing something for YouTube or a podcast. I feel productive doing that. But then there's a point where I'm just like, all right, that's enough. Exactly. And especially since I'm so always kind of glued to a, a screen, I've had to make a very big effort this year in particular because of just being at home all the time to do things that don't involve you looking at a screen. I mean, it's funny that you bring up the Legos and like Legos have been a huge part of that where I've just like just something fun to do where it's, I'm not looking at a screen or I'm actually like playing the music and like, going out, you know, and exploring more a bit too, trying out different restaurants and stuff like that. Um, obviously being safe, wear your, wear, wear your fucking mask, people. Um, mask, please wear your mask. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I say, I don't swear often on this show, but I will say it when it comes to wearing a mask. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, doing things and it's different for everybody too, because, you know, we, there's different, I think someone doing something fun is different for everybody. Like someone's version of fun could be playing a video game. Someone's version of fun could be just relaxing on the couch and listening to music or whatnot. And I think it's also understanding that, Hey, just because, you know, maybe Miranda and I have different ways of just doing stuff and how we are productive and how we have fun. That's okay. Like, it's completely okay that we we don't do the same things. Just because person A that you're, you're friends with, like, it's cool if they want to go do something else to relax. You don't have to do the same stuff. 
we're not all the same people. And I, I definitely feel that. I think we might be kindred spirits because I, I have so many friends around me that are very extroverted and the things that let them let loose are going out and having fun together and like spending time together. I am not that person. And I've always, I've always had friends, I guess not now in my life because I have great friends now, but growing up, I always had friends that sold out as very lame. Like you don't like to do anything. You're kind of a buzzkill. But it's like, that's just who I am. I'm very introverted. I need time to relax and unwind and I need to recharge my batteries. And that is okay. And if someone cannot accept that, that's, I'm, I'm not your person. <laughs> are we human or are we dancers? My signs yeah. are vital. My hands are cold. Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> so much. No, I, um, I definitely like, I think that is, I, I actually 100% Miranda. I, I, I've literally kind of went through something very similar earlier this year with that same exact experience. And honestly, what it boiled down to was, you know, if two people just cannot just accept the fact that, Hey, like you, like we, if you don't want me to relax in the way that I do or however you want to have fun, like that's like, if you can't accept that, then it's, you, you don't need to hang out or whatnot. But I will say, is that just because that if someone doesn't like to do the same type of stuff that you do to relax or recharge, that doesn't make them a bad person. I think that's also something we got to keep in mind. Not to say that maybe the way they handle the situation or whatnot, you know, could be right or wrong, but like just because someone doesn't like to do the same things you do, um, doesn't make them a bad person. You know, I think that's absolutely yeah, because I I know it's funny because you talk about growing up. I I grew up in a very small private uh, Catholic school, and I believe it or not, of a class of thirty students in my grade, uh, I was the only kid that was a nerd. I was I was the kid where everyone wanted to go to the movies or go bowling on the weekends after we get out of our private school clothes and our uniforms and whatnot. And I'm like, I want to go play a new Sonic game. I want to go. I want to go play the Wii um that's what i okay. did okay um, yeah we grew up in this we grew up in the same life i literally graduated with 36 people and i was always like i'm gonna spend the weekend playing mario with my dad but thank you <laughs> exactly no, literally that was literally the way i uh i operate and like for the longest time it was always so difficult because like you know growing up i always thought like you know people just thought really badly of folks that liked that nerdy crap but really what it boiled down to is just it was just the wrong people and you will eventually find the people that you're supposed to be with and like hang out with and have fun yeah and we should totally normalize the idea of like just because you don't vibe with someone doesn't mean they're a bad person like you said like you know just because we're not close just because we don't vibe we don't have the same like energy or whatever doesn't mean you're a bad person or I'm a bad person. We're just not, we're just not meant to be like connected in that way. And that's okay too. Everyone has their own speed and their own, their own maturity, I guess. And that's completely fine. Right. I, I know because I'm, I mean, I assume Miranda, we both grew up in probably very small communities where everyone kind of knows each other and, and the kind of the whole thing, it's a popularity con contest of, all right, if you have the most friends, you're successful exactly yeah. yeah in my town it was like if you have the most friends and you play basketball that was really big in my town like if you're a sports person you're yes. you're definitely more successful and i was just like okay okay that's, <laughs> I'm that's in, fine 
Yeah, I'm a little weird art kid. That's not going to work for me, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, believe it or not. So back in my day, I did. A, I made a lot of card games on Microsoft Publisher. That's oh, what I, I love that. I, that's what I used to do. That was before I understood what Adobe was. So <laughs> I, would, I would literally jam out on my parents' printer, printing out these cards and like double like backing on them and stuff. And that's what I was that kid. Um, everyone was like, let's go to a football game or whatnot. And I'm like, I got to go make a card game on my parents' computer. Um, it's so, so pure. Uh, we would have been friends. We would have uh, been friends oh, in I high school. <laughs> um, different different lives, though. It's just, it's yeah. just what happens. It's, it is it's what all about the discovery. It's, and I think that's part of it, too, is just like, you know, growing up, I never thought there was going to be people like me ever. And then, like, going into college and, like, doing all this community stuff with, like, my podcast and Disney Villainous and even, like, doing all the teaching stuff. Like, you will find your people. You will. People. It's so true. Like when I first started at IUPUI and I found out that there was a, a thing, like a national group, an organization called Society of Women Engineers, I was like, oh my gosh, there are people like me? There's like a national group like me? That's insane. <laughs> and that's how I found a lot of the people that are still my friends to this day. Just because, I mean, you're right. You'll just, you'll find your people. There's such a big world out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I have friends out in Washington, um, or actually not Washington, in Oregon and uh, Louisiana and Texas and all over the place. And like, I still talk to them on a semi-regular basis. I check in on, on them and stuff. And like, you will find your friends. And those are the friends that you like the most meaningful. Because I think one thing I definitely learned um, a little, I, I think I might've told the story before in a podcast, but uh, you know, grew up in Indiana, went out to Seattle one summer to intern, came back, realized how much I hated the freaking state. And I blamed it on the people, but really what I, I was trying to blame it on was the fact that I was not surrounding myself with the correct people. Yeah. And that's what it made me realize that it's not And granted, There is a little bit of like, your lo where you are in the country or the world and like your location, the types of people that are there, but it's really who you decide to surround yourself with. And that's how you really kind of find your friends and the people that you really care about and stuff like that. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. Um, and don't be like me and just blame it on the entire state. Uh, that was not a good time in my life because I was a very angry man. Um, I can, my, my, uh, my brother can attest to this. Uh, he was on last, uh, the last week's podcast and he can attest that Luke was not a happy person. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, don't be, don't be me. Don't beat me. Yeah. In 16. Um, in 2016, yeah, don't be, don't be Luke in 2016. Uh, <laughs> I, I get, I give Kratos a run for his money at being the most pissed off person alive. Um, so <laughs> But, uh, I mean, I was the exact same way. And I always I was the same way. But with my town, I always blame my town like, oh, I hate this place. It's all this place's fault. And I was like a super angsty, angry teen. And I still have a lot of anger in me towards the world. But oh, yeah. I, and we it's all not do. not in the same the same presidents as it was during high school. And it, it doesn't it's more of just like, again, there's fear and being honest and being honest is what attracts the right people to yourself. If you are honest about yourself and who you are, you'll find your people and you'll find who you're comfortable with. And that I, I feel like this podcast just has a theme of honesty and fear and how they go hand in hand. Yeah, no, I mean, like, that's what it's kind of funny because, you know, we talked to we talked about a lot of different things. And honestly, that's really what this uh, podcast has been about. This is honesty and fear with just yourself, you know, yeah. like being honest with your friends, being honest with yourself and like knowing what you're scared of. and like 
talk. And I think it's like, you know, people talk about like, oh, like I'm, I'm sad. I need to go talk to somebody. And like, sometimes, yeah, that's really important. I know for myself, that doesn't always work to talk to someone about how I feel, but I know a lot of other people feel that way. So I do not want to discredit them, but it's also important to actually have that conversation with yourself. I yeah. think too. I mean, I literally actually did that this morning of the recording of the show in the shower where literally I was just thinking <laughs> about something and I was literally talking literally like a crazy person talking to myself about it out loud. Cause that's just <laughs> how I like to kind of go about how I do things. But like, that's important because now that idea that I had had in my head that was going to probably lurk in my brain all day, I kind of pressed it out, talked it out for into myself for about 10 minutes, waited till the water went cold and that was good. But you need, it, really? you need to take the time to talk to yourself, though. And also, if you have someone to talk to, talk to them about it as well. Because you want to, I mean, you want to let your people you care about know how you're feeling, too. Yeah, of course. That's really important, too. But I'm I'm the same sort of person where I'm not an outward processor. I process inwardly very much. And sometimes that can hurt the people that are really close to me. Because I'm very, if something's really going on, I'm pretty quiet about it. I won't I won't mention it to anyone. But that's how I best process. And I think that's why I want to go into psychology because I want to help people process on their own by using like a technology that can help them process and help them meditate or help them understand themselves. I think that's, that brings the feeling of I am processing on my own, but something is helping me. And it's not something that is a human that can judge me because that's a whole other thing into fear is judgment. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's <laughs> with everything, even like when you're developing it is like, I I can only imagine the people making Hellblade, how they were so scared to put that on. The oh public my gosh. Like, like, all right, every person who is dealing with sch schizophrenia, like, how are they going to look at this game? Like, are they going right. to nail us over the head saying, this is not how it's supposed to be. Exactly. Or, or are they going to feel generalized? Or are they going to feel like they're stuck in a, a box that doesn't apply to them, which is another like huge problem in the industry of psychology is sticking people into boxes that don't exist because everything is a, is a spectrum and a sphere and it doesn't work like that. And yeah, I, I totally agree. How could you not be afraid when you're making something that profound that you wouldn't, you know, upset someone or make someone feel crowded or lost? No, I, I mean, I do that every day with teaching. I always tell people, I always try to be incredibly careful about what I say and make sure that however I say things is super important. I mean, like is some people might find this really small, but like when I teach, I always say folks instead of guys, because I learned a long time ago that guess what? Guys is referring to boys, right? Not girls, <laughs> or people who do not identify. Absolutely. So, uh, that's why I use folks because that's all inclusive and it's little things like that, that go a long way of making people feel more welcome in your environment. And I always, I, I try to do that in my teaching and I know I don't do a perfect job at it. And I tell people to call me out when I do stupid things, um, yeah. because I don't want to be that person. And if I say something that's wrong, I want someone to correct me and be like, Hey, I know you didn't mean it. That's how I felt when you said that. I'll be like, okay. Thank you for yeah. telling me. So now I, because that's the part of it too, is like, I tell people all the time is like, if I say something stupid, call me out, please. Like, that's the only way I'm going to learn or else they're going to just keep saying the same dumb shit all over. Exactly. And they're, they're very obviously, that goes back to like the idea of deconstruction of, of your self-identity and yourself in general is like, there are things that you, you won't even understand, especially with our upbringing. There are things that you might do out of habit that you don't understand is, is offensive. Like, and I've even be cor been corrected on that. When I worked at GameStop, 
I used to every people every like group of people that would come in the door I would say hi guys how are you today and that like just like you and that's where I learned like you can't do that that doesn't apply to everyone and you're you're generalizing and it doesn't work like that no yeah no it just you gotta you gotta really be as like you it's I don't want to say like because obviously yes be inclusive but really what it boils down to is just be open and try to learn to be inclusive because that's what's going to help you develop these different techniques in order to approach you know kind of wrapping as a whole to back to what you were talking about with like building these games that are for helping folks with you know disorders is you want to give yourself techniques to when you're scared to be able to find ways to you know not be scared or how to approach it and like be, be like all right folks i'm here to learn about people with severe depression i'm gonna not gonna lie i know jack shit but you folks are here to tell me how to be better at this. And if I screw okay. up, you need to tell me. And that is super hard to do. And it's taken me years to be that upfront and honest. I do that every time I teach where I was like, I'm like, all right, guys and gals. That's also another thing I do. If I say guys, I try to switch back to it and say gals as well with that. That's something I do. Um, keep that in mind in the back of your pocket for those of you who do public speaking. Um, <laughs> I'm on a trick or two. But um, like, all right, folks. Correct me if I say something stupid. This might be a complete shit show today. And it's just that's just part of being honest and just, you know, that takes time to do. Like that was not something I I back five years ago, I could say, Oh, I'm a very confident human being. Now I'm like, all right, come at me with a gun. I'm a, I'm good. I'm ready to go. Shoot me with your worst questions, people. Come on. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I think that's so important just to be open to again, just being open to learning, just being and I think I think that's such a difficult task when it comes to, because if you think about it, everything in our lives involves psychology. Every job that you do will involve some sort of psychology and the understanding of people and the way that they think and the way that they work. And a lot of employers are even using like Meyer Briggs tests and things of that nature to understand how to better understand their employees and how to better help them and communicate with them, which is great. But you can't change people's mindsets. Um, no. on being open-minded and that's a really tough thing to overcome you can't make someone listen to you you can't make someone try and understand or have empathy for another side but i think it's just important that you try and be honest when you're wrong like you said and and take accountability if you need correcting and take accountability if you need to change something and i i don't i wish there was a way to make everyone feel that way but i know there's not no. <laughs> And I, that's part of it too. And that's something I've definitely had to learn is that like, we can sit here and just hope that everyone is going to be okay. Like we're going to be able to teach the people these great values and you can't force on everybody. Um, no, I know especially yeah. from a teacher perspective, you know, I, you know, especially as a younger person teaching, like I want to be able to drill into everyone's heads, how to be the most kick-ass app developer possible. But that Heck I can't yeah. do that for everybody. It's just impossible. And part of that is just accepting that and knowing yeah. that going in, it's just like, well, not everyone's going to make it and that's okay. <laughs> you don't need to, you don't need to sit there and be like, ha ha, you suck. But it's part <laughs> of it. all right. I can't sit here and just drill into every, everyone's heads about this. You know, like it's not going to work that way. And I have to accept that and I can just do my best. And that's okay. exactly exactly just do your best that's i think that should be the theme of this podcast is just like be. Do your just best. wake up and do your best to be a good yeah. human every fear day <laughs> and comfort fear and comfort do your best 
And no, honesty. <laughs> yes. Now I do. I, I want to ask one simple question and we're going to wrap up the show here um, because we initially talked about video games and the psychology of those games. I got to ask you, Miranda. I don't know. I don't remember if you, I don't remember if you said this on spirit week. Um, what is your favorite video game that has meant the most to you? Oh, wow. That's a really tough question. Um, I will say the video game that, that definitely got me into gaming, that got me into game design was Dead Space. That game. Really? Yeah. The Dead Space series was everything for me. I grew up on Xbox, so Halo was a big thing for me as well. But Dead Space was always my thing. However, I would have to say now my favorite video game. Detroit Become Human is my current favorite video game. That's what I like to hear. See, That's what I, I like knew, to hear. I knew that you were going to love that. And again, it comes down to like that game is so psychological. That game oh, puts so, good. so much pressure on you. And okay, super interesting fact to wrap up the show. In Korea, I just like learned about an article that was, was about this study that they held in Korea. A bunch of professors in Korea, including someone from biomedicine, uh, computer engineering, and the nursing school over in Korea. They had developed a virtual reality 360 degree video that basically helped to teach nursing students about schizophrenia. And it ran similarly to Detroit Becomes Human and a wow. lot of other. Yeah. And a lot of other point and click games where it literally gave a dialogue and you had to choose an option that would relate to a consequence or to an action. And it was really engaging. And it taught it taught a lot of those nursing students about schizophrenia and how to handle someone schizophrenia so i think that's another reason i love games like that is because it teaches like real world co consequences it teaches how important words are how important dialogue is and actions and it like it makes you accountable for your actions and i think that that's another really great educational skill no i i it's it's well i i gotta say i gotta say one thing number one that's the original dead space is my absolute favorite um horror game of all time Absolutely. The, oh my gosh, the horror design in that game is just whatever. Yeah, it's it's amazing. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a big fan of the sequels. Two's good. Um, three not is less of a horror game, more of an action game. But I, Agreed. I don't talk about it enough. I love Dead Space. Um, <laughs> scary. Um, now I, so I remember when Detroit came out. I was I was excited because it was made by the folks who did Heavy Rain, and yes. Heavy Rain was also a very you know very choose your own adventure type of ordeal but Absolutely. the difference between heavy rain and detroit is the fact that heavy rain is like a thriller so there's definitely like this scary psychological feeling to it but it's not like i don't want to say teaching you something but it does teach you like oh your actions do have weight to what you do and how they influence the story yeah. detroit really nails this whole concept of what it means to be a human being and exactly like, and like i think that just does it so well and like i i will say this up front i is not my favorite game of all time it is on my top 10 list but detroit become human has the best story of any video game in my I, yeah um, i would i would back that up i really would that and life is strange those two games taught me so much about empathy and i think the most interesting theme in detroit becomes human is the idea of like you will begin to feel empathy for a machine and what does that yeah. mean for you? And that goes back to like, I did my capstone in CGT off of like the Turing test and Mary in the black and white room, those two oh, theories. Wow. 
So it means a lot to me to the, like the idea of like what makes an artificial intelligence not human and how do we still feel empathy for those things? I yeah, no, I that's why I, I love Connor. Connor's such a good character in that game. Oh my he, gosh. He, he does an incredible like his uh Brian Descart, I believe, is the actor. He he does a fantastic job really representing this character that's literally going through this. Well, and actually it's not even just that, it's also the player making the choices of watching this robot essentially want to either become um, have emotions or stay based off of the program scripting and like when you're going to do that how does that look like really? like how does that like when you see someone not have emotions and do the thing that they're programmed to do like what is that actually repercussion on you as a human being exactly and, as someone who has the platinum trophy who has seen every single ending <laughs> of Detroit become human i can say that there's some endings in that game that i don't like uh, not because they're bad, but because they hurt to watch. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I totally agree. But, uh, and and I think it's just, I don't know. I think the whole visualization of when, it can, when any of the AIs actually do break through their programming, the visualization of that is really beautiful. Like oh, breaking awesome. through the, the imaginary wall. And I think that even a human can relate to that. Breaking through your programming what you're what you've been told is right and wrong i think that is so monumental i just think it's beautiful how they did it no i i i absolutely i i remember the the particular scene when uh marcus is doing it i think that oh my gosh that one hit me the hardest because that one's just so well done the music's great and like the at like actually showing marcus like beating down the wall exactly so great um, and it was just, it made me literally cry. Like the whole the leading up to it. I don't want to spoil it if anyone yeah, does. No, no, we're not, not playing. Go play the freaking right. game. So Go good. play the game if you haven't played it. It's amazing. It'll, it's all, it'll it's on PC for all you PC nerds. Exactly. Um, oh, yeah. I ended up playing it on PC after we discussed that, by the way. Nerd. A nerd. Um, Turbo <laughs> tax on your PC, nerds. A nerd. But yeah, I just I'm love. Sitting here, I'm sitting here talking about I'm PlayStation fanboy over here. But, uh, okay, but same. I'm still a PlayStation fanboy. I feel you 100%. It's okay, good, Luke. <laughs> good, good. But I you do just the PlayStation the, Army. Um, exactly. And like just just the story leading up for every single one of the artificial intelligence, like when they were breaking the wall and choosing to break the wall, but every story leading up to it made you feel that powerful movement of empathy. It made you right. feel like what it must be like to be a machine. I don't know. And the comparisons between a human and machine, it's just something that's always thrilled I, me. I think it even goes beyond a machine, too, to some extent. Like, you know, the, like, yeah, obviously the machine, like, caring about something that's not alive, but, like, also, like, watching, like, you know, someone who's seen people really struggle with their lives and, like, watching them become alive again. Like, that's super powerful, too. Like, watching someone literally bring themselves back to life oh my gosh yeah and that's such a good way to put that and such a good a metaphor and analogy for that like i just a couple weekends ago i just went to a wedding of a friend i grew up with in high school that i almost like watched them take their lives and now they're married and happy like even that can be an analogy for breaking through that wall and just wow. how beautiful like coming back into yourself yeah super cool super cool yeah. analogy there <laughs> yeah, no that's that's Man, there are some beautiful things in this world, and I, I sometimes I have to take a step back and just remember how magical watching someone grow is. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, that's, that's what I, I want to. 
I think that's why we both keep doing what we're doing. <laughs> I, know, I, I think so too. And that's and and that's a great way to end up wrapping up this show. Uh Miranda, you have been an absolutely wonderful guest. You have been such a positive um splash on this show. I really appreciate you being here. Uh I do want to say you want you want to plug anything before we take off, as I do with all my guests. I usually have a website ready, but right now it's under construction. So I have a LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn, just Miranda Schuler. Schuler is S-H-U-L-E-R. You can find me there. That's <laughs> the closest I'll, thing I have I'll, to plug. I'll, I'll put her name in the title of the of the show. So if you don't know how to spell things like me, <laughs> you will you, you will be able to see it. So please, please go give Miranda a look. Uh she has done wonderful things for this show um in terms of doing obviously providing her voice is the main thing of the show but also doing this awesome logo for the youtube and the podcast so i want to give miranda oh. another um round of applause through the microphone i really do appreciate all the stuff it's that you've done just making me blush over here it's my pleasure <laughs> no, I, no it's it's just me i'm just a, i'm just a dude that does things and, and lives and breathes same. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but thank you again. Um, I'm probably going to have you back on the show at some point. This has been a pleasure. Um, yeah, I would I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. Very welcome. And I guess that'll be it for the show, everyone. So until next time, I hope you enjoy what we brought to the table. And we'll see you folks on the next episode of the podcast.